This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we begin with another episode of Lights Out, and in tonight's presentation, we're going to hear about an author of horror shows who has a premonition that something terrible is going to happen. Now, it kind of got me thinking about premonitions, whether there's any validity to them. I've had a few situations in my life where I wish I'd had a premonition of what's about to happen. Like the time I was about 21 and working in my hometown of London, Ontario, at a radio station there, and I just purchased a pair of skis, boots, and poles to take on the exciting sky-high mountain there. Well, <clears throat> I might have overstated things a little bit, because sky-high was just a mountain of garbage that in the winter they turned into a ski hill. A tow rope would take you to the top, and you'd simply glide to the bottom. No turns necessary. You'd simply glide to a halt and then do it all over again. So after visiting the hill several times, I convinced myself I did, in fact, know how to ski. So when my next-door neighbors, Audrey and Bill Driver, spied my skis propped up by my door in the hallway, they said, Hey, Frank, I see you like to ski. And they then invited me to accompany them to ski at Devil's Elbow in the Collingwood area. Well, of course, I eagerly said, Yes! So picture this, me getting out of their car, strapping my skis on, following them to the chairs that take you to the top of the mountain. Ski chair? I've never been on one. A tow rope? Yes. Ski chair? No. So I watched very carefully as they both positioned themselves to be scooped up by the next empty chair. And then I nervously did the same thing. No problem. I mastered the getting on part. Next came the getting off part. Well, from my perch in the chair, I watched the trees going by swiftly below as we went up higher and higher and higher. Good Lord, when, when did we get the top? The ride seemed to go on forever. Finally, we got there, and again, I watched how Bill and Audrey get off the chairlift and emulated them perfectly and confidently pulled along behind them in this powdery snow. Well, they took a quick turn to the right and disappeared over a knoll. Now, this is where the premonition factor should have kicked in. It should have been a huge flashing billboard in front of me with the headline screaming, Don't go! Don't go! But I did go. I discovered with horror that I'd followed my friends to join them on the expert trail, the the trail that took you within feet of the cement supports that hold up the chairlift that only moments ago I had glibly departed. Within five seconds, I was heading headlong down the steep slope, screaming, Look out! Look out! All the people were gracefully dipping and turning until I arrived. Uh, People diving out of the way, my speed rapidly accelerating, kids falling out of their uh, uh, skis to get out of the way of this madman streaking down the mountain with his scarf sticking straight out behind him, screaming all the way. Next thing I I had my heart jump when I saw at the bottom of the run what I now know to be moguls, I was only able to describe as big bumps dead ahead. I don't know how I did it, but my skis hit the tops of the bumps and I skimmed over all of them. Momentarily relieved... My next fright was looming again, dead ahead. A reminder here, I didn't know how to turn. 
I didn't learn that at ski high, nor did I learn how to stop. So when I saw the ski racks in the ski lodge swiftly approaching at, oh, I don't know, maybe 120 miles an hour, I knew I had to do something. That's when I just gave up and sat down. I can't tell you how many cartwheels I performed in my crushingly grind to a stop. Just let me say there's not a ride at the CNE that would have put me in more death-defying positions. But five minutes later, my friends caught up with me. I was still lying on the ground taking inventory of my bone structure. And they said, are you okay? I said nonchalantly, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, but I think I'm going to go in and have a drink right now. The end. See, if only my premonition factor had kicked in, I wouldn't have damn near killed myself. Whew, there, I'm glad I got that off my chest. And now on with the show, Lights Out. And the episode, The Author and the Thing. Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out. Everybody. Lights Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly. So if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. Enough? Lights Out. Everybody. Miss Goddard, answer the phone, please. Yes, Mr. Obler. Yes? Oh, yes, Miss Harrison. Here he is. Mr. Obler? Yes? Miss Harrison. Oh, oh, thank you. Hello, Joan. How's the phantom lady? <laughs> yeah, am I in trouble? Well, the last light's out. I just don't know what to write about. Oh, no, I got plenty of ideas, but... Oh, well, men dying in foxholes, and what am I doing? Thinking of fantastic... Well, thanks very much, but I still insist that I ought to be... <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Sure, I'll make this last one a good one, and then that'll be that. If I live through it. Huh? <laughs> no, no, I was just talking to myself. I've been doing that rather consistently these last few days. <laughs> yes, I, I guess all those zombies and ghouls and loop gurus have finally caught up with me. <laughs> I know, I know. Two aspirins and a glass of water every half hour. Uh, now, look here, Miss Harrison. Don't worry about me. I'll get the story written tonight if I have to talk to the devil himself to do it. All right, John. All right. Yeah, sure. Oh, fine, fine. Call me back in an hour and I'll have some kind of a plot figured out. I hope. Give my regards to Norman. Talk to you later. Well, Miss Goddard, let's get to work. Yes, sir. What time is it, anyway? 11.32. Sorry I have to keep you working so late? That's perfectly all right. I know you have to have that play done by tomorrow morning. I'm glad to help. You're an angel. (laughs) Angel? That's a strange word to use here in this room where I've thought up so many demons and monsters. Tell me, or maybe you won't want to tell me. What, Mr. Obler? Working with me on these lights-out plays, do you ever get frightened? Well... You do, don't you? Yes, I do get frightened many times. Uh, there was a time I'd have found that very amusing, but not tonight. 
Is there something wrong, Mr. Ogler? I don't know. Tell me, did you ever sit alone in a room at night and have a premonition? I mean, suddenly get the feeling that somewhere in the house, perhaps in the darkness in the next room, something was waiting, something of malignancy and evil? Ugh, what's the matter with me? If I keep on talking like this, they'll be using me as Exhibit X in a psychopathic ward. Come on, let's get to work. Yes, sir. Uh, let me see. We'll start out next week's play with the regular lights out opening. Lights out everybody. Chimes later than you think. Gone. First character is named um, Hellman. Call him Hellman. Jack Hellman. H-E-L-L-M-A-N. Two hours. Got that? Mm-hmm. Um, he commits a murder and he... Um, Oh, what's the use? I can't write another one of these things. Ghosts and groans and blood. I, I tell you, I can't do it. I can't do it. Mr. Overler. I'm sorry. Look here, Miss Goddard. You better run along. But aren't we going no, to... No, I just can't write anymore tonight. But the cast, they'll be standing by. The rehearsal. Devil with the rehearsal. I'm not going to go insane writing these things for anybody. Now, now, run along, please. Try to get some rest and you come back early in the morning. We'll see what we can do. Just as you say. Are you sure you're all right? Please go. All right. Good night. Good night. What's come over me anyway? Why, why did I tell her to go? I gotta write this play. Premonitions. <laughs> she must have thought I was getting softening. Oh. Who's there? Oh. Oh, I am in bad shape. The wind rattles the window and I... <laughs> lights out, author goes nuts. There's a headline for variety. I gotta get down to earth. Quarter to twelve. Joan said she'd call back in an hour. I've gotta have some kind of a plot by then. Let me see. How about a, a press agent named Black killing a man named White and black and white murder? Ooh, is that corny? Maybe I could use a story about a Hollywood producer. Let's see, Johnny Auer. He meets a girl and then is afraid because the girl's husband. Oh, is that out of character? How about Nero chopping off heads in the Roman circus and... Certainly it's quiet in here. Yell all day for quiet. Now that I've got it, I... I have got the jitters. What the devil have I got to be jittery about? Things are what they are, if anybody knows that I do. Two and ten makes four, unless you're talking about curved space, and them that has hold on to what they've got, and anybody who's in this war for profit ought to have his bones broken off and... Uh, what the devil am I talking about? Huh? Okay. I'd better stop kidding myself. I know what's wrong. I want to write it, and yet I don't. What's the matter with me? Afraid to put it down on paper? What have I got to be afraid of? Here it goes. <laughs> Get it over with and outline a title undecided. Get out of my system. Play opens in the cell of a monastery in the Middle Ages. The mystic is cowered in the corner of his room. Outside, a mob is clamoring for his life. It appears that a horrible crime has been committed in the village below... A horrible monster had torn a woman. It appears that this creature brought into being through the incantations of the sorcerer was the concentration of all the evil in men's hearts and minds. A tremendous force of fiendishness and inhumanity put into living flesh to roam the world and commit unspeakable... Of all the drivel. A tremendous force of fiendishness and inhumanity put into living flesh to roam the world and commit unspeakable... Hu <laughs> 
Well, dribble or not, there it is on paper. Me own monster conceived in me own mind. Congratulations, Papa. Have a cigar. Conceived in my own mind. That's what that crazy monk said in that book Nat Wolf gave me. I wonder who gave Nat that book. Conceived in... Where's that book anyway? It ought to be... Yeah, I even marked the page. And I say unto thee that if thou shalt be evil and do evil and think evil and let thy mind rest upon this evilness in the light of day and in the darkness of night for seven days and seven nights, there may come into being a thing of evil and it shall take the form of the evilness of thy thought. <sighs> Written by half-star mystic more than ten centuries ago and I... Funny I should have thought of those words tonight. I've been thinking about them for a week. Shall take the evil, the form of the evilness of thy thought. Seven days and seven. Who? Who's there? No, 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 no! What? what the? You, you in my mind. Yeah, you're, you're just in my mind. No, no. You, 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 evil. You, you, you don't exist, I tell you. I, I thought you up. You're, you're a dream. I said a dream. When I wake up, door. It is a dream. It's got to be a dream. Come in. Come in. Get me out of this dream. Get me out of this dream. Get me Hi, Arch. Well, don't you ever open doors anymore? What's the big idea sitting in here it's all It's not alone? a dream. It's, it's still... Hey, Arch, what's cooking? Eli, get out. Oh, now, Arch, Don't stand there. Look at me. Get out. Can't you see it? Can't you see it? Get out. Get out of here. Hey, what's Eli, the gag? See in here what? Behind you. Look behind you. Well, there's nothing behind me but the wall. Eli. Hey, what is this, anyway? A preview of... Eli, Eli get out of here. All right, all right. Now, let's have it. What is this? A preview of a new play? <laughs> Boy, am I glad you're quitting lights out after all. Can't you hear him? Oh, hear who? Eli. Behind you. Behind me what? What's the matter with you anyway, Arch? Don't you feel well? You keep staring back at me. It must be a dream. It must be a dream. What's that dream? It must be a dream. Are you tired? What's the matter? The pink elephant's beginning to... No! No! My brother! No, my brother! Let go of me! You think to my brother! No! 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 Eli... Eli? Oh, no. Eli? <laughs> Operator. Operator, please. Send police right away, my brother. Please, send police, send police. My brother, my brother, my brother. Uh, how much time we got to go on this shift yet, Joe? Uh-oh, uh-oh, hold it. Here comes Frank Sinatra again. Squad 39 and 48. Squad of Ventura and Redwood. Drunk, making a disturbance. Claims his brother ate by a monster. Squad 39 well, and 48. Squad of Ventura and Redwood. Drunk, claims brother ate by a thing. KLPD signing off. But I tell you, it's true, officer. It's true. 
My brother, my own brother, I saw it. I saw all it with my right, own eyes. All I saw right, all right, all right. So you got... Now, take it easy, young fellow. You're in a bad shape. I tell you, I'm not drunk. I'm as sober as you are. Now, don't get funny. You thick-headed fool. Look, it's there behind you. Huh? What? The thing, the monster. Look at it. Believe my brother, my Oh, brother. I've heard of him seeing snakes and pink elephants, but this is the first one I've seen this bad off, eh, Joe? But he don't look tight. Oh, you never can tell in the valley. There, the, the two of you. Can't you see him? Can't you see him? Slobber there in the corner. Right hey, hey, maybe we'd better take him down to the station Let him cool off in the can for a while, eh? Yeah Stop uh, staring me, the two of you Why won't you believe me? Why won't you believe me? See, Clarence Maybe this guy's on the level Oh, are you nuts, too? If something happened to his brother There'd be someone around, wouldn't there? And there ain't nothing in this room What have I done? What have I done? You've done? What do you mean? I thought of the monster Seven days of the matter See, what Joe, the guy's nuts Let's find out who he is What's your name, young fella? Yeah, what's your name? Quiet down now. What's your name? Oh, what difference does that make? The thing that sits there and grins at me. Why don't you see it and help me? Why oh, don't you come on, me? come on <laughs> now. What's your name? Let's have it. Opaler. What's your business? What do you do for a living? Well? Radio. I, I write radio. What's the difference? Radio? Opaler. Say, ain't you the guy that writes them screwy lights out things Tuesday nights? Yes. Yes, help me. Please, please help that me. Joel. What? Well, this is the guy that writes them ghost things I was telling you about. You know, over the radio. Obler. The guy who always makes his cops Irish. You get it? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of them gags. Gags. One of them publicity gags. Gags. Oh, you infernal... Now, son. wait a minute, fellow. You Watch mean... your tongue. I tell you, it's not a gag. It's here, here in the room. And it took my brother and... Hey. Can't you hear it? Can't you hear it? Huh? It's laughing. An infernal laugh. Listen to it. Listen to it. <laughs> It is later than you uh, think. Okay, young fellow. If it ain't a gag, you better take a broom and go back to bed. Now, listen, you were going to hang around for a while, so take it easy. Come on, Joe, let's get out of here. This no, no, wait. Who is wait. Uh, don't don't let me. Don't. It's here, I tell you. It's here. Don't let me. Oh. What'll I do? What'll I do? I got to get out of here. Yeah. That's it. I've got to get out of here and find someone who'll believe me. Oh, it won't let me out? No, no. Don't come at me. Don't come. The police, they come back. Come in. Come in. Hi, Arch. I was just driving by and I thought... No, no, Mercedes, get out of here. Get out. What? No, no. Arch, what's the matter? What are you staring at? Mercedes, believe me, you gotta get out. You gotta get out. No! Mercedes! gentlemen, the time has come to take a moment's intermission in tonight's Lights Out story, the tale of a weird and horrible monster dreamed by its author into actual existence. In this moment, let's return to the world of stark reality, where a man is saying, Don't talk to me about having fun tonight. I feel too tired out, same as last night and many other nights. I'm getting thin as a rail, too jittery to eat or sleep as I should. I feel like I'd never be able to enjoy life again. Now, wait a minute. Lots of men and women who used to feel that way have found it was due to simple vitamin B1 and iron deficiency. If that's your trouble, try ironized yeast tablets. Ironized yeast tablets? That's right. Ironized yeast tablets give you vitamin B1 with iron, the exact two substances you need when you suffer from these deficiencies. It's this two-way help of ironized yeast that's been of such splendid benefit in such cases. Yet the cost of these pleasant little tablets is only a few pennies a day. Gosh. 
Maybe I ought to try ironized yeast tablets. By all means do, if vitamin B1 and iron deficiency is what's getting you down. Then see if pretty soon you aren't saying... It's sure swell to feel like myself again. I've got back my old-time weight and pep, like a new lease on life. I'm certainly glad I tried ironized yeast tablets. And now back to our final lights-out story. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Hey, what's going on here? Didn't we tell you to go to bed? Is that the way to act? We heard you screaming all the way down in the... Oh, no. Where did she come from? She, her, torn. Give me her gun. Huh? That thing in the corner there, won't you look at it? Won't you believe me? Give me that gun. Get away from me. The gun, I'll shoot it. I'll shoot that No, gun. no, stand where you are. Stand where you are. Let you have a slug. Huh? You got it coming to you, that girl. They'll burn you for it as sure as my name's Clarence McMenzer. And I'd like to be the guy that pulls the switch. All right, right in here, sir. You've got five minutes. Yes, I know, I know. Oh, Mr. Kenny, I've been waiting for you. I got here as soon as I could. Uh, looks bad, Obler. Very bad. What do you mean? I didn't do anything. I tell you, I didn't. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I know, I know. But, uh, Obler, you can't do a thing like that and just walk away from it. Well, I've explained it to you. I've explained it to everyone a hundred times, a thousand times. Won't anyone believe me? Now, look here, Arch. I'm your attorney. I want to help you. A great number of people want to help you, and we certainly can't do a thing unless you cooperate. Yes, that's what I said, cooperate. What do you want me to do? Tell the truth, the whole truth. But I've told you, I've yes, told you. Yes, yes, I know what you've told me. A horrible thing that you conceived in your mind came to life and uh, did a number of uh, peculiar things. Uh, but, oh, see here, surely you don't think that even the most stupid jury on earth is going to believe that nonsense? You don't believe me. Well, I've heard many peculiar alibis from my radio clients in time, but... Well, listen, if you want to plead temporary insanity... But I'm not insane. I'm not insane. I'm not insane. Then let's hear a sane explanation of what happened that night. I told you. I told you everything just the way it happened. My brother came yes, home and... Yes, 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 I know. Well, your brother came into the room and was eaten up by this monster, and then that girl... Oh, what's the use? Apparently you want to die. I've tried so hard to make you understand... And I've tried to make you understand that if you don't stop this infernal nonsense and hurry up and tell me the truth of what really happened... You'll either find yourself taking a one-way walk to the electric chair or wake up in a padded cell in an asylum for the criminally insane. What? The fact of the matter is they've already appointed a lunacy commission to pass on your case. Lunacy commission? Oh, see here, Arch. Wait. No, wait. Let me talk. Go right ahead. That's what I want you to do. Maybe I am insane. I don't know. At first I told myself it was nothing but a nightmare. That I'd wake up and find it had all been nothing but a weird dream that never really happened. But it's not a dream and no one will believe my story, not even you. It's such an irrational story. How can you expect anyone to believe it? Now, take that part about your brother being devoured alive by this, this monster. It happened. It happened just as I said it happened. It's common knowledge that your brother is pre-induction vacationing up north with your mother. He came back. You mean they are coming back. I sent your brother a wire to come back and bring your mother home at once. They ought to be here today. My brother's dead. Well, that's your preposterous story. This this thing, this monster who's supposed to have committed all these crimes. Where is he? Where did he come from? Where has he gone to? I... I don't know. Did the police see him? No. Did anyone see him? No. Oh, Arch, Arch, if you're going to think up an alibi to save yourself, for heaven's sake, think up a better one than that one. I'm not trying to think up alibis. I'm just trying to explain what happened to you and... Maybe to myself. I haven't believed much during my life, except perhaps that somewhere there was a power that went beyond life and death. 
What happened to me isn't explainable. Any terms that you and I... But, Mr. Gang, I tell you, it did happen. I thought of a monster for seven days and seven nights in my own mind. And like that prophet of the Middle Ages warned, the evil thing came to life, and yet only I could see it and hear it. And do you see and hear it now? No. That's what I can't quite understand. Perhaps the horrible thing only has life when I think about it intensely. <sighs> Inten That's it. Yeah. It only has life when my thoughts give it life. Like an idea. Don't you see, Mr. Gang? Like an idea only exists when you think of it. Your thought gives it life. And that's the way it is with that terrible thing. Listen. What? Listen. Listen. Do you hear him? There. There he is in the corner. What? I what? tell you, he's there. Don't you hear it? Blubbering and slobbering. I see it now. I see it. You think? I'm not afraid of you anymore. You hear me? I'm not afraid. I'll kill you. 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 Over. God. Help. 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 God. God. He's gone insane. He's gone insane. What I tell you, all radio writers are crazy. I've had dealings with several of them. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Please. Commission or lunatics. And you too, Mr. I know how strongly you gentlemen feel about this matter, but after all, we must come to a decision on his mental status. As chairman of this lunacy commission, I feel that it is incumbent upon me to, shall I say, uh, summarize the facts as they have been placed before us. Uh, first, it is an established fact that a murder, and a very horrible murder, has been committed. The police officer has testified very conclusively that Arch Obler was there upon the scene of the crime and that it was absolutely impossible for anyone else to have committed the murder. In other words, the man whose mental status we are to determine is a murderer. Consider further facts. Does he wear conventional shirts? Uh, no, 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 no. Another fact. Does he participate in uh, normal activities such as drinking, dancing, uh, fraternal orders, and similar uh, beneficial social activities? No, 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 no. I pile fact upon fact. Have you gentlemen ever listened to his plays? What are some of the distinctive features of these works? Voices. Mm. Strange voices. Strange voices. Whispering voices. Uh, no, that gentleman always whispering voices. 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 Gentlemen, I am of the firm opinion that we are dealing with a very definite case of Dementia Braycox in its paranoidal form. only some way I, I can make them see the thing as I see it. Mother, you believe what I told you, don't you? Yes, yes, dear, of course I do. Oh. If Eli would only get back. Eli? But I told you, Eli, would. you're like the others, you don't believe me, now I know you don't. Oh, you right. will believe, I'll make you believe. Bing, Bing, wherever you are, listen to me. I think of you, here, I think of you, I give you life, I give you life. Oh, 
You hear, Mother? You hear it does exist? It does? No, no, don't get so excited. There, Mother. You must. It's right behind you. Turn, see, believe. You see it, Mother. You see it. I'm not insane. I'm not insane. No. My mother. Bang my mother. No. No. Not my mother. Not my mother. Not my mother. Not my mother. All right, all right. Hello. Oh, yes, Joan. Midnight already? Yeah, I've been sitting here very comfortably, and I finally thought up the plot line, and believe me, it's quite a brainstorm. I die. Sure, sure, it's my final broadcast, so why not? No, no, I'm not gagging. Listen to me. You know, it's all about a monster that I conceived in my own itty-bitty mind, and it comes to life. Honestly, I haven't had a Coke in hours. It's going to be one of those, you know, crazy stories inside of a story. Now, now listen. The way I've got it figured out is this. Now, I'm supposed to be sitting here thinking of this horrible monster. And suddenly I turn around and there it is, see? And my young brother comes in and this monster eats him up alive. And then Mercy McCambridge comes in and she... Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Joan. Hold it for a minute. I think someone came in. I imagine it's Bernie. I'll see who... to say goodbye to our friends. And now, how about those farewells, Mr. Obler? Yes, after a full year of blood and suspense and death in the night, the time has come to put lights out away and go on to other things. Thanks to those people behind the scenes who have helped so much, engineers, sound men, actors. Now, starting next week at the same time, our nice yeast is going to bring you a new version of an old favorite, Big Town. Yes, Big Town. And if a note of reality of our times has crept into a play now and then... Forgive me, but even a fictionizer can't always forget that there's a very real war going on for very real human issues. So, right now, it's goodbye from a man named Obler and a cordial invitation to listen in to the show that succeeds lights out, Big Town. Yes, Big Town, the thrilling dramatic pageant of America's mightiest metropolis, as mirrored by Steve Wilson's courageous newspaper, The Illustrated Press. Listen as Steve takes you behind the headlines for the stories that are the lifeblood of a great newspaper. Remember... Next Tuesday at this same time, Big Town. And if you need more vitamin B1 and iron, be sure to try ironized yeast. But remember, there's only one ironized yeast. You'll know it instantly by the yellow and orange package and by the big letters IY on the container and on each tablet. It is later. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to go back to the year 1945 and have a visit with Fred Allen. 
might get in. The Fred Allen Show, with Fred's guests, Monty Woolley, Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, the DeMarco sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And if you ever want to look me up in the phone book, girls, my name is Kenny Delmar. This week, ladies and gentlemen, the new American magazine is on the stands. It contains the life story of Fred Allen. Millions of readers are saying, who is Fred Allen? There is only one answer to this Fred Allen question, and here it is. Fred Allen. Thank you, and good evening. Uh, this is Fred Allen, in case there is any doubt, ladies and gentlemen, in case the name didn't come up earlier in the program. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Say, tell me, Kenny, did you uh, did you happen to read the story of my life in the American magazine? No, Fred. Uh, what is it? One of those rags-to-riches yarns? No, it's from rags-to-rags, Kenny. <laughs> I hold my own in the story. <laughs> you know, I was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, that must have been a long time ago. Yes, Kenny. There was no bird life in Cambridge in those days. The stork used to bring his bundles only as far as Boston, and the American Express delivered the babies the rest of the way. <laughs> you were born in a small town. Cambridge was so small, when the Siamese twins stood on the main street, one of the twins was out of town, Kenny. <laughs> Cambridge was so far back in the woods those days, the mayor was an owl. He used to molt every two years and get back in the office again. <laughs> What happened when you got older, Fred? Well, when I was 15, my voice changed and I joined the church choir. You were a choir boy? Yes, Kenny. The first Sunday I sang in church, 200 people changed their religion. <laughs> I started singing one of... Well, Portland. Yeah, just... <laughs> You're just in time, Portland. Time to strike out for Alan's Alley. Have you a question for tonight? Ah, you bet. You know, this past week, a Senate subcommittee published a list of new inventions, aluminum and glass clothing, and electrical gadgets that will greatly influence our post-war lives. And so our question tonight is, how do you think these new scientific developments are going to affect you? Shall we go? As one anchor said to the other anchor, let's away. Well, here we are back in Allen's Alley, Portland. Say, I wonder if the senator had to run for re-election last week. Let's see. Somebody, I say, somebody knocked. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yes. for Claghorn. Senator Claghorn out here. Now, wait a I know. <laughs> they keep going over your head. Well, I know that. I don't yeah, if you're listening, you should be laughing. Well, I'm doing <laughs> Now, look, are you through, Senator, temporarily? Yeah, yeah. Can I yeah, have the Look, Senator, are you upset about these new post-war inventions? Well, there's only one thing that's got me worried, son. What's that? Them new aluminum suits for men. Aluminum suits? If they, I say, if they take all of America's kitchen utensils to make aluminum suits... Yes? The taxpayer will be caught with his pants down. <laughs> so long, so long, that so is. Long, so long, so long. Well, the senator shouldn't worry about aluminum. He should worry about getting the lead out. 
I wonder if Titus Moody is in tonight. Howdy, Bob. Well, <laughs> well, well, Mr. Moody, have you tried any of these post-war ideas? Yeah, I started feeding my sheep ironized yeast. Feeding your sheep ironized yeast? I was trying to grow steel wool. <laughs> well, tell me, how did your experiment work out? Not so good, Bob. No? Yesterday it rained. Yes? Today I got 500 rusty sheep. <laughs> I've never heard of rust taking it on the land, but I guess you have. <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Moody, have you had any other trouble with these new gadgets? Yeah, automatic milking machine kicked up. How? I had the machine hooked on a cow, milking. Yeah? I went to bed and forgot to turn it off. You left the milking machine running all night? Well, what happened? Milk the cow inside out. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't it... Didn't it ruin the cow? No. He's still giving milk. Yes. But the cream is on the bottom. <laughs> I should have asked Mr. Moody to do a few curd tricks while he was here. <laughs> well, let's try this next house here. No. Ah, oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You're expecting maybe lard bagel? <laughs> Tell me, uh... <laughs> Tell me, uh, Mrs. Nussbaum, are you in favor of these inventions to improve modern living? Follow up with science. <laughs> this is by me a slogan. Follow up with science. <laughs> Have you tried any of these new uh, household gadgets? Match. Match. <laughs> I am buying a magic Davenport. What is a magic Davenport? Where does the magic come in? You are pushing a button. Presto, the Davenport is hiding in the wall. Oh, good, good. You are pushing another button. Change, the Davenport is coming out of the wall of bed. Say, that is magic. Magic, tragic. It is making me a widow. What, uh, what happened? My husband, Pierre, is sitting at the Davenport. Yeah? <laughs> Presto, the Davenport is hiding in the wall. Yes? Pierre is trapped in the wall? For four days already. And is, he, is Pierre still alive? We are feeding him through the wall on that hole. <laughs> well, what is Pierre eating? Frankfurt is one at a time. <laughs> well, after this experience, I guess you uh, didn't buy any other new items. Only one. Which one? We are making shoes from soybeans. I'm buying two pairs. Oh, you like your soybean shoes? The fact if they are delicious. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That brings us to the last shack in the alley. A knock here should certainly start something. Oh, it's you, Saggy Eyes. Well, McGee and McGee. Now, something tells me you boys have a new song for tonight. Have you heard? When it's tulip time in Toledo, Tallulah, I'll have tulip waiting for you. Now, wait a minute. Look, 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 look. Tonight, we are discussing, just discussing, post-war innovation. Great. We got a song about these new glass suits. Glass suits? Yeah. I'll be seeing you in all your familiar. Thank you, McGee. 
not true. That's what you think. And now for some singing. <laughs> now for some singing that's worthwhile, ladies and gentlemen. The five DeMarco sisters, accompanied by maestro Al Goodman and his music pupils. The DeMarco sing Paper Moon. <laughs> and his eight bars is a concerto orchestra have just played That's For Me. Mr. Goodman has more unfinished symphonies on hand than Schubert ever dreamed of. <laughs> Say, Portland. Yes? Tell, is there a copy of today's paper around? If you want to know the latest news, Edgar Bergen just got married. No kidding. Charlie McCarthy has a stepmother, hey? Why, that little fugitive from a sawmill, it serves him right. I hate to be a ventriloquist wife. What? If a ventriloquist talks in his sleep at night... You mean if he throws his voice? Yes. His wife has to get out of bed and go downstairs to hear what he's saying. Oh, it's too much trouble. I wouldn't even bother with it. <laughs> well, that's interesting. But look, uh, you could see the script before he went to sleep. You would know. <laughs> look, Portland. <laughs> I'm not interested in Charlie. I just want to look at the want ads. I have to find someone who wants to sell a radio. Isn't your radio working? No. A friend of mine who lives in Jersey went home the other night and took the tube. Oh, here's the <laughs> Here's the paper I wish he took that gag with him, too <laughs> Oh, here's the Here's the paper on this chair Let's, uh, Let us look at these want ads here uh -huh. Oh, here's one We'll exchange sword And eight medals for good alibi Signed, General Yamashita <laughs> He can use a good alibi at the moment Say, here's something. About a radio? What does it say? We'll give my portable radio to anyone strong enough to carry it away. M.W., Room 40, Jim Hotel. Jim, you know that's a little theatrical hotel on 47th Street. I'll see you later, Portland. I'm going over to see M.W., Room 40. <laughs> Room 
Mr. Woolley. If you are the exterminator man, there is wildlife rampant in my mattress. <laughs> no, I... If you are the bellboy, I want a clean towel. But I... Look at this towel. It's blacker than a side curtain on a hearse. <laughs> now, look, mister. If you were the manager, I want knobs put on these doors. I'm sick of opening doors with a corkscrew. <laughs> But, Monty, I'm Fred Allen. Fred, uh, Fred, what are you doing in this flea bag? <laughs> are you furnishing a dog? <laughs> now, Monty, stop complaining. Every hotel in town is crowded. You're lucky to even get in this little theatrical hotel. Lucky? Well, I'm sharing this room with four acrobats, three midgets, two seals, and a talking hippopotamus. But there's no light in here. How can you read here at night? A fire eater lives in the club. A fire eater? Yes, eats with the door open. But how... I read by the light of the fire eater's dinner. Oh, I see. That clarifies that. To me, at at least. Well, I'll... uh... I'll see you later, Monty. I'm looking for some chump who put an ad in the paper. He wants to give away his radio set. I am the chump. Oh, really? Here's my radio set. Get it out of my sight. Monty, you've turned against radio? Well, what is radio? Smiling Irishman, jingles, LF, MFT, (laughs) and those jokes radio comedians tell about my beard. Oh, you mean when you are on their programs? Yes. Last week, a comedian said, Monty, if I lose my raccoon tail, can I borrow your chin for my radiator cap? I remember one comedian said, you look as though you just ate a fuller brush man and his samples are sticking out. (laughs) Well, another so-called radio wit said, uh, Monty, your face should be hanging down in front of a Scotsman's kilt. (laughs) Radio bar. Now, look, Monty, are you through panning radio? One thing more. Really? Those crime programs. What about them? No crime ever goes unsolved in radio. Mr. District Attorney never loses a case. That's right. Your FBI gets its man every week. Well, what kind of a crime program would you like to hear, Marty? Once, I'd like to hear the truth. The truth? The story of a district attorney or police commissioner who has some trouble with a case. Oh, I see. A guy who isn't infallible. Uh Uh-huh. I'd like to be on one of those programs. Say, I think I can fix that for you, Marty. Fred, it'll bring back my faith in radio. I'd like to see what happens. Okay, Inspector Woolley, you are on the air. Mr. Mobbuster. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, champion of the people, foe of the underworld, that defender of law and order, Mr. Mobbuster. Thank you. Thank you. And what is your thrilling story for tonight, Mr. Mobbuster? Tonight... I will show you how I dealt with the most dangerous criminal I encountered in my 40 years on the force. Who was the most dangerous criminal, Mr. Marbuster? Charlie the Chicken. (laughs) Charlie the Chicken? Uh, It all started back in 1936. I was in my office at police headquarters 
polishing some brass knuckles with my right-hand man, Mulligan. Out of a clear sky, Mulligan said, Chief, I don't understand it. Toity is in the office, and you ain't caught one criminal yet. <laughs> it's just a slump, Mulligan. Sixty-seven unsolved moiters this week alone, Chief. The streets is jammed with bodies. Has anybody noticed it? <laughs> Some street cleaner stooled on you, Chief. The newspapers is hinting you're a coward. I'll come through, Mulligan. They've got to give me time. Ah, Miss Pitt, my secretary. Here's your fan mail, Chief. One postcard. What does it say? As long as you are in office, our minds are at ease. Good. Who's it from? Mitre Incorporated. <laughs> Chief, you're the laughing stock of the city. You gotta catch a criminal pretty soon. If I can just get one case, I'll show the newspapers. Yeah. Miss Pitt, turn on my shortwave set. Okay, Chief. Attention all police. Poultry truck hijacked in Jersey. 2,000 chickens stolen. Charlie the chicken suspected. Charlie the chicken suspected. Attention all. Jeepers, Chief. Mulligan, that's the case for me. Charlie the chicken's the biggest chicken napper in the country. This case will be a feather in your cap, Chief. All right, Mulligan. Miss Finn. Yes, Chief. Call the newspapers. Tell them I'm bringing in Charlie the chicken single-handed. Let's go, Mulligan. Okay, Chief. <laughs> This is mighty exciting, Mr. Marbuster. What happened next? Those chickens were disappearing every day. I got a tip that Charlie the Chicken was going to rob the biggest chicken coop in the Bronx. You were prepared? Oh, Mulligan and I hid in the coop. Day and night we sat on two nests, disguised as chickens. One night as we sat there in the dark, plucking... <laughs> I heard Mulligan speak. Chief... I gotta get off this nest. No kidding, if I... Quiet, Mulligan. Somebody just came in the coop. Okay, Chief. I'll get back on the nest. We better start clucking again. <laughs> Who's clucking? Who's in here? Who's there? <laughs> Wait till I flash me searchlight. I thought so. Two chickens with doibies on. I've got to, Charlie the chicken. Coppers, eh? Take this. We can lay the chief on this table, Miss Finn. <laughs> okay, Mulligan. Easy now. Oh. We got you back to the office okay, chief. No reporters even seen you. What? I can't hear you. No wonder you can't hear, chief. Jeepers. Charlie the chicken shot off both your ears. No ears? Well, what will I hang my glasses on? Gee, you're a sight, Chief. In that chicken coop three days, phew. <laughs> Let me get some of them chicken feathers off you. Yeah, I'll comb this mash out of your hair, Chief. Never mind the mash. Get this egg off my chin. My beard looks like an omelet with a point on it. Charlie, the chicken got away clean. Yes, but I'm a mess. I'll find Charlie the chicken if it... I'll get it, Chief. Don't bother getting up. You'll dirty the floor. Hello? Is Mr. Marbuster there? Yeah? This is the FBI. Yeah. Charlie the chicken is going to stick up the Acme Cold Storage plant tonight. Tell Mr. Marbuster to get going. Okay, John Egger. Who was it, Mulligan? The FBI. John Egger, personally. Charlie the Chicken is holding up the Acme Coal Storage Plant, Chief. And the job is tonight. 
This time, Mulligan, Charlie the Chicken is a dead duck. Let's go. Okay, Chief. You've got us all biting our nails, Mr. Mobbuster. Did you catch Charlie? Not exactly. <laughs> Miss Finn, Mulligan, and I went to the coal storage plant. We were hiding behind three icicles. I heard Mulligan say... Shh, shh, quiet, Chief. Charlie the Chicken is in that icebox. Good. Good, I've got him trapped. What are you going to do? Yeah, what's your next move, Chief? Mulligan, you and Miss Finn go yeah. back to the office and call the reporters and photographers. But, Chief... I'm bringing in Charlie the Chicken alone. Good luck, Chief. Let's beat it, Miss Finn. Now, I'll open this icebox door. Who opened that door? Come out with your hands up, Charlie the Chicken. Oh, yeah? Take this, copper. Oh! Now, Mr. Mobbuster, I'm locking you in this icebox. Oh, help, help! You can lay the chief on the floor, Mulligan. <laughs> okay, Miss Finn. He's a solid block of ice. I'll put him down over here. Hey, that was a good idea of yours, carrying the chief home with these ice tongs. Who wakes in that ice box? He looks like a human rink. I'll chip away some of this ice and see if the chief is still alive. Chip a hole near his mouth. Okay. As soon as I chip off this little chunk, his mouth will be free. How do you feel, Chief? Ooh, like a big popsicle. <laughs> Get me out of this frozen kimono. A couple of more chops, Chief. There you are, Chief. Ooh, what an experience. I'm colder than a snowman's clavicle. Hey, Chief, your nose is gone. Charlie, the chickens are sure shot, Chief. I know, I know. My ears are gone. My nose is shut off. I'm starting to lose face. Hey, Chief, why don't you call off this manhunt? Hey, Chief, this code message just came on the teletype. Eureka! The address of Charlie the Chicken's hideout. Come on, Mulligan. Okay, Chief. Is this the joint, Chief? Yes. Charlie the Chicken hangs out in this Bowery saloon. Yeah? Let's go in. Hey, you better be careful, Chief. Chief, this joint looks creepy. Hey, bartender, is Charlie around? Look behind you, bud. Clap hands, Chief. Here comes Charlie. <laughs> At last, Charlie, I've got you. Nobody's taking Charlie the chicken in life, copper. Take that! Gosh! What happened then, Mr. Marbuster? Well, Charlie the chip chicken made his final getaway. He disappeared completely. And you? I was removed from office. <laughs> I got out of the charity ward, practically and partially recovered from my wounds. I was out of work for nine years until I got this job on the radio. What became of Charlie? Charlie the chicken sold all his stolen chickens in the black market for a fabulous sum and is now living in Florida under the alias of Gordon the Goose. He has a 50-room mansion with a private beach, three yachts, 12 speedboats, and a private plane. He spends his days at the track and is engaged to a beautiful movie star. And so, Mr. Mobbuster, the moral of this story is... Crime does not pay. 
I want to thank Monty Woolley for joining us tonight. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, next Sunday night, the Fred Allen Show brings you comedy. <laughs> comedy, that is. Drama. Drama. I'm finished, Ronald. I'm at the end of my rope. Cheer up, old girl. Cheer up. I'll wind up your yo-yo again. And our guest will be... Boris Karloff. Boo. Good night. Allen will be back again next week at the same time. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the adventures of Philip Marlowe, followed by my friend Irma. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.